welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is a podcast designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church. This is our seventh and final episode on depression, where Reverend Squires and I discuss what it looks like to incorporate the broader body of Christ in our own or our loved one's struggle against this malady of soul known as depression. If you have any comments about our show or a question about something you hear on this episode, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can find all of our contact info on our website at firstpresscolumbia.org. If you would like to stay updated on when a new episode is released, download our app. You can do so by searching for First Presbyterian Church of Columbia SC in the app store of your choice. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and those around you. Let's get to the conversation. That brings up another question, Josh. You've talked a little bit about, okay, for someone who's in depression, they have this grid now that we've tried to help build. But what about a loved one who has someone who's going through the midst of depression? What wisdom can we offer from what Scripture says to them? How we begin to address the need of someone who's in our midst who's struggling with depression, both in our immediate relationship to them, but also in the broader relationship of the body of Christ. Yeah. I would say the first thing is is that responding to depression is often a long game. And people get frustrated and upset because they want someone to get better quickly. It's understandable. Mm. Like we all have lives and those lives themselves have complexities and difficulties and therefore trying to minister to someone for months who is just sad and weepy and it's hard for them to get out of bed, to put one foot in front of the other, to work. When we mm. feel exhausted because we're working so hard, it can even be a personal affront to people, you know? Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. And so trying to take all those things, and at first, prayer, right? Lord, help me. So if you look inward mm. first, I'm going to do all of these things Well, you're probably sunk right out the gate. But if you look upward, Lord, there's someone in my Mm. life that is experiencing depression and they need my care. Help me. Help Mm. me to be someone who is a burden bearer. Help me to be someone who encourages. Help me to be someone who loves well and weeps with those who weep well. And I find that if your prayer focuses there on being an aid to them as well as confronting your own sin, Lord, put to death my own impatience. Put to death my mm. desire to be the solution. You know, this is this is one of my pet peeves, by the way, so be ready for a little bit of a soap. <laughs> this is one of my pet peeves. From, from people who would, would be in helping professions, sometimes mm. I hear it said that people are like, well, I've got one counseling session in me. That's it, right? Everything I have to say... It can be said in one session, and I can't. I can't really do anything more than that, right? And it's kind of like the, the stop it from Mad TV. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's like the stop it from Mad TV. Here's my three minute solution, and that's all I really have for you. And of course, the primary problem with that is you are looking to yourself to be the solution. What you're saying is, mm. I, as far as a solution, only have one thing that I can do. But it's the Mm. Lord. Your goal in every moment is just to walk with them and point them to the Lord, even if it's the same thing. Secondly, characterologically of Christ, how often does he say, I told you once and that's enough? 
Mm. Can't really think of it. That's a, that's a little bit of a mic drop there, Josh. <laughs> well, it, I mean, how often do these disciples have to hear the same things over and over and over again? The mm. third time Jesus told them that he was going to Jerusalem to be crucified, what did the disciples do? They fought over who got to be at his right hand, rather than yeah. understanding <laughs> what was actually going on. And Christ didn't say, that's it, I'm mm. done with you. I told you what I had to tell you once, let alone three times, and you didn't get it. No, no, no. He just continued alongside of them with the consistent message of the gospel. And so I would say, when we pray, so we're praying for our people that we're trying to minister to, be with them, help them, help me minister to them. And then as to sin, so often we focus on other people's sin, Lord, crucify their sin, their sinful patterns. Show them their sin in the midst of this, right? Yes. And that's not a bad prayer. Don't get me wrong. But Christ is also very clear that in the splinter and log principle, where do we start in regards to sin? ourselves with ourselves yeah Yeah. with ourselves Hmm. so lord kill my desire to be the solution kill my pride kill my impatience kill my lack of willingness to sit with a friend because it's inconvenient kill all of those Hmm. things in me show me my sin in the midst of this and help me to kill it as much or more than you show the sin to this depressed person and help them kill it. So I think Mm. prayer is the very first place that you go when you're trying to minister to someone who's depressed because it's a long game. It's not usually a two-week thing, a three-week thing, or a six-week thing. It's usually a six-month thing, a 12-month thing, an 18-month thing, a three-year thing. It's a long, long season, and you just have to be prepared Mm. for that. The other thing I would say is compassion. So prayer and then compassion. And again, I'm sure we've mentioned this before, but the number one emotion experienced sure. by our Lord and Savior is compassion. And so mm. we want to be those who mirror that state to our loved ones and to our friends, that what they see in us is not annoyance, it's not frustration, it's compassion. That's why Paul tells us that we should weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. That's that's what we're to do. We're supposed to be with them, get down mm. in the muck with them in life. That's how you bear someone's burden. You don't tell them when they're mm. down at the bottom of the pit and they've got this big burden on top of them, hey, hey, send me the burden from down there. I'm going to stay up here, but but you <laughs> you get out of the pit and then and then I'll help you. Right? Yeah. You got to get down in it with yeah. them and, and help them get out. And so that requires compassion. However, And this is where I've got critique from a secular perspective. Like oftentimes there are schools of thought that empathy is the action. Empathy is the answer. But that is not a biblical framework. In a biblical framework, Christ never just emotes. He never just empathizes with someone. His empathy Hmm. and his compassion move to action. So a true biblical compassion is empathy in action. So we need to be Hmm. acting for them, right? Now, those Hmm. actions can be coming over, checking on them, praying with them, leading them in prayer, listening to them, 
trying to get them to biological resources, if that's doctors, if it's making sure that they eat, making sure that they try and sleep regularly, that they go and exercise. It can be psychological resources, trying to get them to a counselor, helping them talk through it themselves. It can be sociological resources, getting them out and around people, getting them to serve others and not just focus on themselves. And then, of course, spiritual resources, helping them to be in the Word and come to worship and be in prayer with brothers and sisters and bear other people's burdens, not just have their burdens borne along. So it's it's empathy in action is a biblical compassion. Again, however, for people who are depressed, oftentimes those actions are slow, they're incomplete, and they take a long time. Sure. Right? And so it's sure. it's that combination of patience that goes with that compassion. Well, plus I think, too, there's something to be said when I was reading—I was actually reading Calvin's commentary on where Calvin was saying, how does this biblical author tell us that we should take something bitter and consider it to be sweet? Well, we remember that trial is something that our God is using to conform us to his image. And so often I think there's this—it can take a long time. Like, this is really hard. Like, Yes, it is, but there's a deeper framework still that even begins to point out in our lives that trial is never, whether it's in this case spiritual sorrow, it's never outside of the providential hands of our God. And it is always something that he uses to conform us more into his image. And there's what I guess you could say teleologically, or the theological term is teleologically, there's an end point that what our Bible tells us is that whether it's in our loved one's life or whether it's in our own lives, in relation to this trial that we're enduring through with them, we don't know why it's there, but we know that it will be something God uses to redeem us more into the image of our, our Savior. And would you agree with that, Josh? Would you agree that that's a helpful framework to consider it? Like, Absolutely. And I think that this is the framework by which you and I are able to be hopeful even in the midst of a depression that seems dark, it seems long-term, and you're not entirely sure when or if it's going to end. There was mm. research done by a guy by the name of Brett Atkinson. Actually, there's there's a ton of research out there about something called the dodo effect. Have you ever heard of the dodo effect when it comes to therapy? Yes, I've heard from you about it before. It's the idea that all of these different therapies are out there, and yet all of them seem to have the same sort of rate of effectiveness, correct? Is that what you're referencing? That's right. The, the, the rate of effectiveness for some therapies might be higher or lower for certain types of disorders, but in general, almost all therapies, and there's more than, I think the last count that I saw, more than 250 different schools of psychological therapy, how come all of them show rates that are positive. They all show effectiveness. That's <laughs> and crazy. And they all have di differing frameworks, too. <laughs> hugely different frameworks, hugely different uh, interventions. So there are people who have tried to understand the dodo effect and what is it that's common that is effective about the therapeutic process. And Brett Atkinson found that the number one thing that an outsider can bring to the therapeutic process is hope. The installation mm. of hope is the number one thing mm. that will bring someone through to a positive outcome. And as Christians, mm. we are flush with hope. We should never Amen. be at a place where we run out of hope. And the idea mm. that Jesus is using this depression for the betterment 
of that person if they love the Lord and the betterment of all of his people who love the Lord around them is one of the places where we get our hope. It it is one of the main points of Job, isn't it? Is that sometimes things that happen, Mm. it's not because of the person. It's not just for the the person's well-being, but so that this book could be written so that you and I here 3,000 years later can have that example and know that in the midst of difficult, dark circumstances, we can have hope, and it may Mm. not just be a flat rebuke. It may be a display of God's power. And it may be working itself mm. out, not just for us, but for all those around us for who knows how long, right? So so we have hope mm. that doesn't fade and doesn't falter. And ultimately, we have a scripture that tells us hope is actually generated through crises like depression rather than squashed by depression. So mm. our hope for them, a caretaker's hope is actually one of the most important things that they can have was actually going to be my very Mm. next point was, so we're praying for them regularly. We're compassionate for them. We're trying to have an action and we never stop having hope. We are always trying to infuse hope into their lives. And those would be Mm. kind of the, that would be the skeleton for me of how I would help tell someone who's helping someone else who's depressed how to do it skillfully as a Christian. That's awesome, Josh. And I think that even further highlights the idea that this is not something that you're meant to do alone. You're not meant to do this by yourself totally. And this is not that like you should walk around talking to every single person about you or your loved one's depression. You know, we are a body of God's people who the spiritual resources that he's given us is that we have a monopoly of hope. And even when one of us feels weak in the midst of our hope, just like a caretaker who has a loved one who is struggling through depression, and that caretaker is to be the sort of anchor or lightning rod of hope, I guess you could say, in this depressed person's life. When they are weary, they come to the body, and the body is meant to encourage them as well through those same means that they're encouraging the depressed person to partake of, too. Amen. Amen. Mm. You give people the hope that you yourself have, right? And if you're not mm. if you're not in bibing, if, you, if you're not... In your own life, applying that hope to yourself, you're going to run out of that hope to give to somebody else. Mm. So you look upward to find that hope. You look outward to God's people, and then you move towards that loved one, and you continue to just push through with them, it sounds like. That's that's right. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, Josh, this has been very encouraging to hear, especially because I think what our hope is in, in this whole series is to help not just create a better framework for depression, but a better a better framework for God's people to look at depression and to not be so scared by it. It it seems like this framework would help, whether it was a church member, whether it was an individual, whether it was a caretaker, going through the season of spiritual sadness. Our hope is that they would they would be a little bit better equipped right. to look at that and not feel terrified about what what is going on with them. And there's other questions that go into this. We're not we're not saying that this is the the main sort of framework and there's nothing else to be said, but I think I'm really thankful for the primer that you have helped me to better grasp and what fruit it could bear in God's people and also in our our churches as a whole. So, do you have anything else that you want to consider how to offer or that you would add to this framework that you've laid out and let's let's review it real quick of like for someone who's caretaking. Yeah. It's prayer, it's compassion, it's compassion that leads to action and then it's the hope. constant having hope for them, the installation of hope. Uh, is is mm. the number one key to helping someone 
get out of depression. Well, wonderful. Josh, why don't you close us in prayer? I'm going to close us in prayer. And thank you, Josh, for being on this series with me. It's super helpful, I think, to have someone to dialogue with. So it's not just me Mm. rambling on my own. Keeps me kind of focused. And I think the entire congregation benefits from it. So thank you so much for your willingness to be a part of this as well. You're welcome, brother. I'm the ignorant one. I I get to learn from some of the best. And, And I'm thankful for your work in our congregation, Josh. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, it is difficult when we see someone whom we love struggling with depression. It can bring up in us so many fears of inadequacy. It can bring up frustration and anger, especially if this is something we've seen them go through time in and time out, and we just want them to be over it, done with it, move beyond it. And there are times when it's hard for us to even understand if they have the hope of the gospel, how is it that they can be depressed? And yet, depression is ever-present even in your pages and by your people. Mm. And some of the smartest, wisest, most pious people in Scripture find themselves in seasons of depression because we are people who were designed to live in a non-fallen world with immediate access to our God, and we're not there. We suffer the effects of the fall. We have an enemy who is prowling around and who is always trying to tempt us into sin. We have a world enamored with sin that would have us fall in love with it rather than Mm -hmm. with God's word. And we have hearts that perpetually create sin in us, that love sin and love the sinful world. And so it is easy even for the most righteous of us to find ourselves in seasons of depression. So would you be with any of those who we know who are battling depression? Would they see you and you alone? Would their eyes be fixed on you and your cross? Would they know that their Savior loves them and is compassionate? Not only just empathic, where he understands what they feel, but has action that he came to die on the cross and has been raised and sits at the right hand of the Father so that they too may someday be resurrected, that they may have an unfallen body joined with Mm. a righteous soul and know what it's like to live in his presence and finally have completeness like we have never known before, where we never have to worry about disease or tears or depression again. But between here and there, be with all the people who support those who are dealing with depression. Give them patience and kindness. Help them to love. Help them to act. Help them to have hope. To apply the hope of the gospel to their own souls so that they too may more and more apply the hope of the gospel to those around us. And would you, in the midst of all of this, get all the glory and all the honor for it. We love you and pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.